0: This hour, we're taking a deeper look into the issue of long COVID. We just spoke to Dr. Anne Berard, a family and palliative care physician in Montreal who is coping with the effects of long COVID. After uh, contracting COVID-19 back in late 2020, she's still having trouble breathing. She's still having trouble, trouble walking, uh, or at least trouble breathing, so which prevents her from going on long walks. She has brain fog, all the different symptoms we've been hearing about. My next guest says that we need to be prepared as a country for a post-pandemic pandemic, she calls it, involving those who will suffer from the lingering effects of COVID-19. And she's calling for a concerted effort at establishing special government-funded clinics across this country that can provide care and conduct research on long COVID. Joining me now from Toronto is Dr. Angela Chung. She's a senior physician scientist with the University Health Network. Thank you so much for your time tonight.
1: Thank you. Thanks for inviting me, Ben.
0: When it comes to long COVID, I guess it's very much still uh, a work in progress in trying to understand and define exactly what it is and how to treat it.
1: Uh, that's correct. Um, it is a evolving science. And there's many symptoms uh, that we are all lumping into long COVID. And, um, you know, uh, some patients have it mild, some patients have it quite severe, Uh, and people present differently as well. And so uh, there is quite a wide spectrum.
0: What sort of uh, ailments, so to speak, are you seeing when it comes to long COVID? And I gather, as you've mentioned, there is a wide spectrum from relatively minor to to fairly acute.
1: Yeah. So I would say that the top five symptoms are fatigue, uh, brain fog, shortness of breath, uh, with exertion, uh, tachycardia or what we call fast heart rate, or I should say inappropriate fast heart rate and sleep disturbances. Um, and, and to that, those five, I would add, you know, there are other symptoms, um, sort of anxiety and depression um, about how they are. Um, It's kind of like patients receiving a diagnosis of cancer and wondering, you know, is it going to go away? Um, So there's uh, a fair bit of mental health issues uh, around long COVID as well.
0: I know you've been looking into this and the numbers aren't exactly defined, but what percentage of people who contract COVID-19 develop symptoms of long COVID?
1: We think at least 10% but it can be as high as 50%. And my estimate is that it's somewhere in between, um, you know, closer to like the 30% mark, but it really depends on how you're defining it. Do you define it as someone having one residual symptom? Um, Say, for example, someone who can't um, smell or taste perfectly, um, or you are defining it as, you know, someone who so it's so debilitated that they can't get out of bed and can't do the usual activities, even taking a shower. Has there
0: been, have you noticed any change um, in our ability to treat those with long COVID, given the metal, many medical advances we've seen in treating, or at least uh, protecting against COVID over the last two years?
1: I think our concentration has been sort of putting out the fire. um, If you allow me to say that, Um, uh, meaning we're concentrating on like the acutely ill patients who are hospitalized and trying to keep them alive and, um, uh, and, you know, uh, and keeping the waves um, going into the hospital sort of low. Um, We have spent, less time on um, really trying to learn about long COVID and what can help long COVID. Now the the fortunate thing is um, this is not the first post-viral syndrome. So there are other post-viral syndromes that we're learning from. And I have to say that the, um, the ME-CFS group. um, So the myalgia encephalitis chronic fatigue syndrome group has been, very helpful in, um, you know, helping uh, healthcare providers and others in terms of, uh, you know, uh, sharing what works for them. And some of those techniques have worked for long COVID as well. What would those be? Uh, Resting and pacing. So um, I teach patients about uh, having like a pot of energy each day, um, they can't, you know, go into deficit um, and, um, uh, and not overexerting themselves and thinking of that pot of energy as not only physical, but cognitive and also emotional. So all the, you know, if someone has a lot of anxiety, um, uh, that will dip into that pot of energy. And so often what happens, uh, a common trajectory is that, you know, someone feels better from the acute COVID, they um, go back to their usual activities, um, say, uh, you know, running three times a week um, and going back to work full time, and then they crash, Um, they have a flare um, of all their symptoms again. Um, and, uh, and, uh, when they rest and recover, they feel better. And then it's the cycle sort of, it's like a roller Um, if people can actually keep their, um, you know, these, uh, relapses or flare-ups, um, uh, sort of in control, then they do recover and, uh, things will get better over time. Um, but if people um, allow these sort of, you know, um, flare ups to happen a lot, then it's very disruptive uh, to their life um, and and their quality of life.
0: For the healthcare system itself, I know. Obviously, we know just how overwhelmed the entire system has been by COVID itself. Where are we at in terms of bracing for understanding what the impact will be for those who suffer from these longer-term effects of COVID-19?
1: I call it the post-pandemic pandemic. pandemic. Um, I I think uh, 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 family physicians are seeing patients with long COVID right now. Um, I think many specialists are seeing uh, cases as well. Um, and uh, the numbers are increasing um, in terms of patients seeking care. Um, so, uh, you know, yes, we have been concentrating on the acute care, and, you know, unfortunately, uh, at least in Ontario, uh, we are seeing our, our sixth wave. And, um, yeah, and in my hospital, uh, it, it, there's a call out for uh, physicians doing COVID care again on the acute care teams. And so um, we seem to not be able to get out of this, put out the fire mode.
0: I was going to say, and, and that maybe that's taking a step in a different direction, but we are seeing uh, in the last little while, I, I understand just anecdotally in my own life, I've been seeing a, a, quite a significant increase in people testing positive for COVID. Clearly, you're seeing that uh, from a healthcare perspective as well.
1: Yes. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I know that we're all sick and tired of it, <laughs> and that uh, we would uh, love for COVID to leave. Um, but the reality is COVID is still here. And so it's really important that people, you know, vaccinate, uh, do your booster shots if you can, uh, or at, if you're at high risk, and um, also masking. Um I think I was at a grocery store recently, um, and a third of the people in the grocery store were not masked. And we know what works, right? We don't really need a mandate um, to wear a mask. It's kind of like if it's raining, you should bring an umbrella.
0: Good point. Um, When we look at long COVID then, how would we, and I'll ask you this when we come back, uh, but how are we to then... Prepare for the post pandemic pandemic. Do you think?
1: I would like to see really a set of um, specialty clinics around the country that are connected, and that we share information and what we learn, and um, so that we can be sort of the uh, sort of what best best practice is like. And um, and and try to educate our primary care providers um, on sort of what works and what um, doesn't work. So um, often, um, sometimes physicians um, are um, telling patients uh, you should go get up and you should sort of, you know, push yourself and uh, to do um, uh, exercises and other things and often that will put people sort of in uh, relapses. And, um, and so I think it's important to know sort of like what post-COVID condition is and what we can uh, do to make people feel better.
0: I'm speaking with Dr. Angela Chung, a Senior Physician Scientist with the University Health Health Network in Toronto. We're talking about uh, the impacts of long COVID more broadly across the healthcare network or what Dr. Chung refers to as the post-pandemic pandemic. pandemic. And while we're still dealing with acute outbreaks of the pandemic itself, it is time, she says, to look forward to what we may have to do to treat those who suffer from longer-term impacts of COVID-19. When we come back, we'll talk briefly just about um, about where we need to set up, and we've been talking about it already, but really how we need to prepare for this, uh, because I don't think we fully know how many people will suffer from longer term effects and it will be important that the information is available so we can prepare properly. That's after this. I'm back with Dr. Angela Chung, a senior physician scientist with the University Health Network in Toronto. We're talking about the impacts of long COVID, something uh, not fully understood just yet. Specifically, as we deal with the with yet another outbreak of COVID itself, um, Dr. Chung, I, I was going to ask a bit about the stigma because you mentioned earlier sort of acute uh, fatigue syndrome. I'm going to get the name of that incorrect, but you know, there's always been. A certain uh, misunderstanding around longer-term impacts of something like COVID nineteen. Uh, are you seeing that with your patients as well? That there's there is sort of a, maybe a certain lack of belief that they are suffering what they are what they say they're suffering or what they feel they're suffering.
1: Yes, I think there is definitely um, uh, that. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is there's no test that you can do um, to prove that you have long COVID. Um, we're still sort of in the midst of looking at biomarkers and other things, but currently really there's no, you know, it's not like a, um, troponin test for heart attacks. Um, uh, there's no biomarker that you can do to say, aha, you have long COVID. Um, so, and, and the other, so that's one issue. The other issue is that, um, often the symptoms are very vague. And um, when you uh, do your usual testing, um, you may not see anything. So say, for example, someone actually has uh, inappropriate sinus tachycardia, um, uh, which means fast heart rate. Um, but when you do the echocardiogram or ECG or various cardiac tests, you don't see anything. Um, it doesn't mean that the patient doesn't have it. Um, we are just not doing the right tests. And so uh, the Kankov consortium has, um, you know, various studies going on, and uh, we have looked at brain fog with imaging. We've looked at um, cardiac stuff as well, and we can see differences between those who are normal and those who are not, who are complaining of these symptoms. The problem is all these are research protocols, and they're not widely available tests. And um, so that's, those are some of the hurdles that we have to um, go through.
0: So obviously much more elusive uh, to figure out than COVID itself. Uh, the, the numbers that you shared earlier about you know, between 10 and 50%, uh, even on the low end, that is a staggering number of people if you talk about those people needing uh, continued care within our healthcare system.
1: Yes. And so like there have been more than 3.4 million people in Canada who got COVID. If we think 10% um, has long COVID, that's like 340 something thousand uh, just there. And we know that the Canadian official numbers were based on PCR testing. So that number is a lot higher um, for those who didn't have a chance to get tested. Uh, or they did a rapid antigen tests, uh, which are widely available now, and didn't bother uh, or, you know, can't access a PCR test. And so, um, you know, I think that it's more than 350,000 people, um, you know, uh, with this problem. And so I think employers, insurance, um, you know, uh, insurance companies and other people need to be aware that there's this population that is not well.
0: And will continue to be. On. I, I, what I did want to ask you, I know there are a lot of people out there who who may think or may not know whether they've even ever had COVID uh, because their symptoms were mild, for instance, or they didn't test for it. Is it. Do we understand yet whether someone who may not even have ever realized they had COVID then starts suffering some of these symptoms of long COVID?
1: Um, That's the really tricky part. What we do know is that those who have acute symptoms were more likely to have long COVID. So those who were asymptomatic um, are less likely to have long COVID. And those greater than five symptoms in the acute phase are more likely to have long COVID later as well. And so, you know, the sicker that you are, the higher chance that you can get long COVID, basically.
0: And have we seen any differences between the different variants in terms of their impact on the likelihood that you will have these lingering effects?
1: It is still a little bit early to tell in terms of um, uh, Omicron uh, versus the others. Um, but a lot of the long COVID patients that we've been seeing are from the first wave. But it's may not be just purely because of the variant per se, because there's also vaccination. So we know that vaccination will decrease the risk of long COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's also other treatments in the acute phase. So for someone who's hospitalized, uh, initially, we didn't really have much to offer. But currently, we have monoclonal antibodies, we have steroids, we have antiviral medications, we have a whole bunch of stuff uh, that we're giving to the acutely ill patients who are, who are hospitalized. And so it's not really comparing apples to apples. Um, there's many factors, um, and whether it's a difference in variance or all these other factors as well.
0: When you look ahead now, then to the next six months, the next year, um, what would you like to see done by different health authorities across the country to ensure that we are prepared at least to some extent to deal with this post-pandemic pandemic?
1: pandemic? So I do see that um, uh, BC um, has uh, COVID clinics that are supported by the government. In Ontario, we don't. Um, And I'm not sure that in other jurisdictions that there are clinics like that. And I would like to see that these clinics are connected to each other so that we can be, um, you know, communicating and, uh, you know, really trying to um, translate research findings to um, actions um, in in terms of changing the care of our patients in a very rapid way. Uh, cycles, um, because as I told you, um, information is coming out every day. And so uh, I would like to use what we learned um, to be treating patients with long COVID.
0: Dr. Angela Chung, thank you so much for your time tonight and your insight. I appreciate it.
1: Sure. Thank you.